because we've eaten well uh, together with you. So uh, thanks for blessing us, and I hope this is a blessing uh, today as we bring God's Word uh, and look at the practicalities of it, of how to live. And one of the before I read the passage, I want us to just maybe think about what God wants to do with us this morning. Is If you're on Google Maps, uh, you have a little slider where there's the little, you can look at it from people-sized map, which is street level, and then you can do this little zoom thing. You go to outer space and look at the whole globe and, and look at the whole world. And a lot of times we feel like maybe as Christians is we've got our job, we've got our family, we've got our work, we, we're doing devotions, we're, we're trying to uh, share the gospel with friends, and so we're right in the nitty-gritty of it. And many times we say, what is God up to with this little little old me and and my little part of the world, my zip code, what's God doing with the world? And I think we always need to be able to zoom between what we're doing on the ground with our little responsibilities and what God's doing through that to bless and change uh, the whole world. And so I wanted to look at the book of Isaiah together with uh, you today to kind of see how does God want us to look at both the little things that we're doing in faithfulness to him and the big things that he's doing through that so that we don't lose heart and we don't lose perspective and we don't lose our joy in the midst of, of all of that. And when I preach, I like to have people stand up just because they're going to be sitting for a long time. But also it's a way for us to honor the king who speaks his word to us. So let's stand and uh, a little different, but uh, we can honor God this way. And I'm going to read down to uh, verse 14 and then refer to a few other uh, verses uh, throughout our time. This is uh, God's word. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually day and night. They shall not be shut. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Amen. This is God's word. Please be seated.
To understand this passage, I think we can look a little bit at uh, what Michael was talking about last week about, uh, and then the week before about the woman who uh, was, had the uh, medical problem that she had spent all of her money at doctors. She was ritually unclean and she wasn't healed. And then last week we talked about the man healed of demons. One of the things we, we have to ask about is, is basically Jesus, the king of his church, was coming back to his church. And what was the state of his church? It was a wreck. There were demon-possessed people. Everybody was sick. Everybody was unclean. This place of holiness, these people who were God's special people, they weren't marked by overwhelming joy and overwhelming holiness and overwhelming uh, health. They were broken, deeply broken. And so when we come to this book of Isaiah, we really have to see Isaiah and his job. Is Literally, Isaiah was a gospel missionary to the church. And what missionaries do is they always have bad news and they've got good news. And I think Michael said it this way before. Cheer up, you're worse than you ever thought. But cheer up as well because you're more loved and there's more hope for you than you ever believed. And so Isaiah, uh, it's a really long book. The early parts of the book are really about bad news. He's talking to the church that had been so focused on the little things that they had missed the forest. They looked at the trees and they were so worried about what they were doing in worship that they were forgetting what they were supposed to be. What kind of people? And then how was God supposed to use them to bless the whole world? That they had become so focused on themselves and their own comfort and their own ethnicity that they had forgotten that God's heart, as one of my kids reminded me, God's heart is big towards us. God's heart is big towards the world. And that is what Isaiah is telling uh, his people in Isaiah, is that, believe it or not, though you have been devastated by your sins, though you have really been so lame as a bride, as we talked about uh, in uh, Sunday school, this has been a terrible marriage. As someone said, cheer up. God's had the worst marriage in all of history, if you think yours is bad. Because of what us as God's people, what we're like in response to him. And the good news is, that's not the truest thing about us, is that God redeems all of that. God can transform us in all of that. And so we hear hope in this passage of hope of transformation, not just for God's people who are so messed up, but that they would actually become a means for God to remake the whole world. I think that's a great message for a little church like us. How does God do what we're doing in Marshall School to bless the whole Bay Area? What is God doing in this little auditorium that wants to remake everything from the bottom up? Well, first of all, we start to figure out who's the solution and who's the problem. And we start to say, hello, my name is Sean, and I'm the problem. So when we we start to see that, when we can start to admit that, we start to see that grace is for us and that that grace is also to extend to the rest of the world. So let's look at at a few things together. Um, Look at verse 1. Arise. Why does he have to tell them to arise? Well, because they're down. They should be down if they really knew their sin, and they're down because they are literally about to go into captivity as God's training ground, as God's means to sort of wake them up to the reality of what's wrong with them and the reality of what God wants to do to the whole world. And Israel itself was transformed, as, as Michael said last week. The, the language that Jesus spoke was not pure Hebrew, it was Aramaic. And when did Aramaic happen? As their main language, when they lived in captivity. 
And what we now celebrate as kind of small groups and, and worship like this, not in a temple but in a building, happened during captivity. They were away from their temple, the place where they felt closest to God and God had set apart for them to praise his name and be shaped as his people. That went away and they had to start asking themselves, without a temple and without living in my place, who am I? And God's message to them before they went into captivity is, you are mine. You're mine not just to be God's special one. You're mine because I have brought you to life. And you're mine because I want to renew you. I own you twice. I made you and I have rebought you. I have reclaimed you. What we just sang about. Dearly we're bought. We're highly esteemed. So not just the specialness of belonging to God, but also being a special missionary for God, for his purposes, for the whole world. So he wants them to think about not just the little parts of their life and just the little mundane Monday uh, to Saturday routines and then Sunday worship. He wants them to think how this is global in its scope, that God can remake not only a messed up nation that had walked away from God, but nations that had never known God, who had hated God and lived in idol worship and lived in darkness. Because what does he talk about? Awake, arise, because you've been low. You should be low and humbled. Rise, stand up, you're mine, but also shine, for your light has come. The church is always wrestling with how do we shine the light into our community? And the first thing we need to understand as a church is we're not generators of light. We're reflectors of light. And for light to shine off of us, what has to happen? The reflector has to be clean. So we need to hear God's welcome to us saying, come to me, I will wash you, I will repurpose you, I will now allow you to be a reflector of my glory to a people who live in darkness. And when we start to say, God, but I'm dark, how can I be a reflector? He says, come, as we see in Isaiah 6. Isaiah himself says, I saw God, and I said, oh dear, I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I speak for a people of unclean lips and unclean heart and unclean actions, what will happen? And God touched him and cleansed him. And the very next words out of Isaiah's mouth is, here I am, send me. That God takes sinners, loves them and redeems them and turns them into missionaries so that the whole world is transformed. And so that's the very next thing he wants them to think about is, Verse 3, and nations shall come to your light. This is light that's reflected of God's redeeming glory, that God can change people, the worst sinners, and they are able to say, and I'm exhibit A, as the Apostle Paul would say, I'm the chief of sinners, but God has had mercy on me as an example to those who will believe. And that is what God is saying to the church that Isaiah is speaking to. Nations will come to your light. It's a light that reflects that God can redeem his people and they will come. Why will they come? Because they live in the dark. And it's a darkness that cannot be cleaned up from the inside. The dark cannot make itself light. There has to be a miracle of redemption. And God is doing that for his people who themselves are dark and have walked away from God. And now they become a reflector of light so that the nations that God loves can begin streaming back to him. And they can see what God can do and redeem them. Because look at 4, 
down four through seven. Lift up your eyes. Look, they're all coming. They're rushing. They're coming from all different parts of the world. In verse six, there's Midian and Ephah. That's kind of what is modern day Yemen. We could even just kind of put this into modern day terms. People who normally go to a country to be trained as terrorists, I will make those people my disciples who are following after Jesus Christ. These are tough places. From Sheba shall come. Africa, I'm going to draw people from Africa. And then he talks later about the ships of of Tarshish. That's like Turkey. That's like southern Europe from the west. And ancient people oftentimes looked at the west because obviously they were living in in the Middle East. The west was the scary place because you looked out and there was a big ocean there, Mediterranean Sea. And I don't like swimming in lakes. You know why? There's lots of living things looking up at me, kind of bobbing at the top uh, like a little uh, bait, right? I just think of all the fish and, and what else other huge things live down there looking at me like a little snack. Maybe I need to grow up and kind of get in touch with my fears. That's why I'm taking counseling classes, to deal with my own, my own stuff. But, but for, for ancient people, the ocean was the scary place. That's where the dark things that go bump in the night, the slithery, slimy, sea creature, nasty stuff lives. And for God to say... I'm going to do glorious things in the West. I'm going to do glorious things uh, in the South where normally your attackers come and attack you, Israel. All these scary places I will transform that they become places of redemption and I, I will bring you the fruit to see and you will rejoice. Well, this room is proof of what God has done, that he's kept his promises from the West and the East and the South. He has brought his people into the joy of redemption in Jesus. Jesus, born a Jew in a terrible part, a terrible neighborhood called Nazareth, he changed the whole world. And so he's telling Israel, don't count yourselves out because I will redeem you. Don't count out these nations just because it looks like they're in darkness and there's been a, some bad history with these folks. They're from the wrong neighborhood. Don't count it out. Why? I'm your light. I'm your redemption. Redemption's zip code can include these neighborhoods that you said have no hope. Because look at you. He wants them to look at themselves and say that same grace that has transformed you is going to transform these nations. Like the end of verse 6 says, And they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. These people speaking in foreign languages and speaking about their gods and, uh, and speaking about things that are unclean and weren't glorifying to God. He says, I'm going to change the topic of their conversation. I'm going to change their songs, their national anthems. We'll talk about Jesus as our king. Do you believe that that can happen? Well, this morning, if you're praising Jesus, it's happened to you. As we talked about in, uh, in Sunday school this morning, idol worship is not just having a little uh, Buddha in your little shelf or, or having your weird Vishnu statue or having your BMW out front. Wait, did I? Yeah, all these things can be idols. All these things can be the false focus of our lives. And it's not just the domain of those who worship physical idols. God's people themselves had missed the point of belonging to him and worshiping him. But as we come to point two, vocations redeemed, I want you to maybe think about, if you can think back that far, or maybe it's quite recent for you, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus. You say, 
well, I just became a Christian. Does it mean I have to go buy an acoustic guitar and become a youth pastor? Um, am I allowed to still be like an IT guy? Am I, am I still allowed to be a medical receptionist? I mean, am I still allowed to do that now that I belong to Jesus? And the answer is yes. There's obviously some professions that can't be redeemed. And because we have kids here, we're not going to talk about them, but you can imagine what those are. But think about it this way. And I think Pastor Michael, as he talked about the guy who had all those demons that were named Legion, they cast him into the pigs. I think it's in the Mark account. There's a very interesting thing that this guy does. He comes to Jesus and said, can I get in the boat and go with you guys now? Now that I'm one of you disciple guys? And Jesus says something kind of weird. He says, no. Here's a guy who wants to follow Jesus. He wants to get on the boat. And it was our, there was already like 13, so it's not kind of like it's about unlucky numbers or something, getting on the boat, that he would mess up the numbers or something. But he said a very interesting thing. He says, I want you to go back home. I want you to go back home and testify that I have changed you. That we can be new people in Jesus living at our old places for a new purpose. And that's something that we have to get a hold of. And that's something that I've wrestled with at different times in my life, being a pastor, not being a pastor. Now I'm sort of pastor, not a pastor. Who am I? Well, the first thing is I belong to Jesus. And I'm my kid's dad and my wife's husband. I need to look like Jesus in all those ways all the time, not just when I'm behind a black music stand with my black Bible. And the same with you. In your cubicle, in the ER, in, in classes, uh, in your home, scrubbing the floors and what, cleaning up after kids that keep messing up what you just cleaned up. All of those things can be redeemed because what God does for us in giving us grace is he becomes the new center of our world. And that from the inside out, he starts rearranging everything so it starts to radiate his glory. And where do I get that from this passage? You're like, I don't see anything about jobs or anything like that. Well, there's one little uh, clue in here. And one thing about Isaiah is it's just a book-long poem. It's a song. I don't know if Isaiah played guitar or harp or keyboard or whatever. But he would have sung this if you know Hebrew. And I don't know it very well. But there's some neat rhymes and rhythms. It's just a beautiful song of God singing his church back to health and back to holiness. And so he's using pictures rather than do this, thou shalt, thou shalt not. He's giving them a picture of what holiness and wholeness looks like. And he uses this phrase, the ships of Tarshish, for the coastlands shall hope for me. That they didn't all have to become priests. They didn't all have to quit their jobs and become Israelites and grow beards and wear robes and things like that. That God was redeeming them where they lived and that he was using all of these vocations to build his kingdom. And so just as God was sending Isaiah to be a missionary to his church, God sent the gospel to them so that they could become their God's missionaries wherever. In Babylon, Daniel did that. Living as if God was real and God was true and God was faithful, even when they were called to bow down to the idols of the land in which they were found captive. And so in one sense, we kind of live here, but then we kind of don't live here. We kind of feel very awkwardly caught between, in one sense, what theologians like to say, between the already of what God's already done, and then the not yet, and when God makes everything perfectly, totally new. But there's also a sense in which we belong to heaven, but we're lived to be a blessing to earth. And daily, we're always wrestled with, 
well, is this when I put my earth hat on? And then do I take it off and put on my Jesus hat so I do my Jesus stuff? Well, it's supposed to be messier than that. And in fact, it really is on a daily level a lot messier than any kind of take a hat off, put a hat on. Is that we're being renewed, living in places that need to be renewed. And so God uses all these things that technically didn't look holy and didn't look uh, churchy, uh, but he was using those to bring, uh, well, look at what verse, uh, and a verse says, there's sil- verse 8, there's silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. One of the questions you can ask about your job or about what you're doing or what you want to do is does it make God's world beautiful? Does it make God's kingdom beautiful? Does it make people thrive and enjoy God and live for Him. And that's one of the things you can think about uh, when you're doing your IT job, not just so people can have better bandwidth to pirate movies and download, you know, other stuff. Um, How how can this be a blessing to the world and uh, bring uh, God's truth throughout the world? When I go to work, how can this be, how can I be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom while I'm at my job? And that takes, obviously, creativity. There's no, like, job description stuff in Scripture. There's no stuff that just says, when they say this, you say that. You really wish there was a script in there for some of this stuff. And what God wants to do when he transforms the inside of you, he, he wants to unleash all kinds of creativity about how you can apply and obey all of his truth in your world. And that takes a lifetime of practice. It takes a community of people to start encouraging each other when you're in small groups together. You can pray for each other. Man, I've got a tough meeting with my supervisor tomorrow. Help me not be a jerk, because he's a jerk. You know, those are the places where being transformed is really practical and in many times really painful. It's because you just want a different job. You just want to go hang out with Christians all the time. No, God has you there for a purpose, and he wants to redeem your job for his purposes uh, for the kingdom. Just a few more things before we close. Uh, point three, everything's political. And I'd probably add everything's spiritual. I've just been one of my, I've wearing so many hats right now in my life. My head's about to explode because I work part time as a plumber and I, uh, work, work going, uh, doing classes on counseling and then I'm preaching and doing different things around the Bay Area, helping out some churches. And uh, one thing I've been writing a chapter on, uh, kind of church and state relations in the Middle Ages. So I've been kind of medieval the last few months. So, uh, my head kind of hurts that way. But one thing that really struck me as I was studying, there's a pope and there's a king and an archbishop involved, is that our temptation as humans is politicians want to be messiahs and shepherds want to be kings. And so it's all messed up. We, we, we get political when we're supposed to be spiritual. And when we're getting political, we also have spiritual ideas that this is going to change the world. And there's no way to escape that. You know why? That's how God's made us. In the beginning, God says... I have made you in my image to have dominion over all the creatures. We reflect God in the way that we organize things. And in fact, by nature, we are worshipers. So whenever we're doing things, we're doing things for a really high purpose and in a, and, and a, and a religious way because we're, we're doing it for that thing that has really captured us, that thing we love, that thing the Bible uses the word glory, the thing that feels so significant and so important that if I don't have it, I'll die. We know that instinctively, whether or not we've ever been to church, and God wants to capture that. 
And that's our essential problem, and God wants to renew that and change how we do that. And it's interesting because you think about politics. What does it say? The kind of people that are going to stream to this city. Kings, verse 11. Verse 12, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. What God is telling him is this. What I'm doing with my little people, you can think about <clears throat> this way. What I'm doing it in my, in my church is going to change the whole world. So don't think so small about who you are and what God's doing. Think big because he has control over kings. He has control over nations. And what he is saying to them is this. What God is doing in the church is the permanent reality through all of eternity. One teacher I appreciate uh, put it this way as he was teaching uh, um, foreign exchange students from China the story of the Bible. He says, God's kingdom is God's people and God's place living off of God's promises under God's king. It's a really neat book. You can download it for free. It's called Story of a Kingdom. It's at beginningwithmoses.org, I think it's called. Just a really neat, just the Bible story in about 50 pages, the whole thing. God's people and God's place living on God's promises under God's king. Who is God's king? Psalm 2 says, I've said to my son, I put all the nations under your feet. Kiss the son lest he be angry in your perishing way. Jesus is king of everything. Although we wrestle with the reality of spiritual darkness that seems to rule everything, that that seems to be the most true reality about this world. The real reality, Jesus said it this way, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go therefore into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and, and I'm with you till the end of the world. What is Jesus saying? I'm king of the world, and I'm changing my people, my church, to love the whole world and serve the whole world, and it's going to overturn the whole world. And how did God overturn the whole world in the time of the early church? Did a bunch of Christians become politicians or kings or emperors? No. A bunch of little people who lived and died their faith. And it literally says in Acts of this little church that became thousands just by listening to God's word and living God's word. It says they've turned the world upside down. So you'd say, I'm never going to be in power. I'm never going to be influential. And you know what? That's probably true. And so don't waste your life trying to be important when God has you so vital where you live. Just the size you are, just the importance you are, just the responsibilities that you have. Even today, God can transform all of that. And that's the last thing I want to look at before we close, is living as a city for God's glory. What did Jesus say? He says, you will be like a blank on a hill. People will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They say, you will be a Bible study on a hill. No. You will be a political action group on a hill. You will be a Christian college on a hill. What does he say? You will be a city on a hill. You will be people organized around the king of everything. You will be organizing your life around the new center of everything, which is grace. 
grace that rewrites things, that makes darkness into light, that makes shame and sin now flourish with righteousness and peace and health and forgiveness. He says, you are a city on a hill. Don't cities seem to be kind of like the darkest, nastiest places you can think of? There's lots of crime and lots of pollution, lots of traffic, uh, lots of greed, all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus said it. What does it mean? Just like I said, we're all gonna, always going to be worshipers. We're always organizing stuff. We're always putting things together. We're always congregating. Listen to what a really neat uh, theologian, uh, Augustine, said in this really monster book, uh, about a thousand pages. And I haven't read the whole thing. It looks worn, but I haven't read it all. But this is what happened. Rome accused Christianity of causing its collapse. In the year 410, Rome was sacked by all those nasty barbarian tribes that lived around them. And you you know who they blamed? They blamed the Christians. This was their logic. When we thought our emperor was God and when we had our nice little idols and when we made our sacrifices, everything worked. And then this Jesus guy showed up and then all these wacky people from all over the world. I can't explain how these thousands and thousands of people are following this Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. What's up with that? And these Romans said, it's because we didn't honor our Roman gods that our city has collapsed. And being always like a good pastor, so many words to explain little things, right? Um, Wrote this huge book to say, Rome collapsed under the weight of its idols. In fact, the city that will bless the whole world and the city that will remain forever, he calls the city of God. This is what he says. While this heavenly city, therefore, is on pilgrimage in this world, she calls out citizens from all nations and so collects a society of aliens speaking all languages. This peace the heavenly city possesses in faith while on its pilgrimage, and it lives a life of righteousness based on this faith. Having the attainment of that peace in view and every good action it performs in relation to God and in relation to a neighbor, since the life of a city is inevitably a social life. We've just looked from God's perspective at his global plan, and he wants to bring it down to a zip code. He wants to bring it down to street view where people live this out. So it means this morning, the grace you've heard about to take people who are dark because of their sins, that God can turn on the light and take away our sins and make us shine. Not because we're generators of light, but because we are now cleansed reflectors of light. And we can now bless the cities and where we live because we're a brand new city with a brand new focus, with a brand new purpose, which is the glory of God. And I'll just close with something that Isaiah closes this chapter with. Look at verse 19. And as you hear it, think about where else you've heard this verse. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Where do we hear that again? In Revelation. It says there won't any more be sun or moon. Why? Because God's going to light up the whole world. And this morning, God has shown us by his word and by his grace that he's the center of the world. And by his light, we see everything. And we see everything new. And we ourselves can be brand new in a way that God uses to make everything brand new. So this morning, if you're feeling dark and useless, come to this God who says, Arise, 
shine. If you're feeling small and unimportant and you think, man, I just got to be a politician or a pastor or something important in order to be a part of this change and this morning, hear these words. He is the everlasting light. Come and bask in his light. Come and love your city. Come be the city of God that lives at peace with God and with neighbor forever. Let's do that for Castor Valley and for the world because God has done that for us and he's done that to us. Let's thank him as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, sometimes we uh, struggle and we're sad because uh, the church doesn't work uh, like we think it should. And we're saddened all the time because the world doesn't work as it should. And it just seems to get darker and more broken. And, it, and the fixes don't stand, tend to uh, stay fixed. And we look at our own hearts and, and we're broken hearted just in a general way because life is hard. But we're also broken hearted as we start to see what we have done wrong and, and broken your laws and broken uh, your ways. And we've also broken other people's hearts. We, we're not only damaged, but we're also damagers. We also cause damage. And, uh, and we don't like that. And, and we want redemption to come into our daily lives. And we want redemption to come to our world. And we thank you for this word that came to the church of Isaiah's day that said even though they were part of the problem, God himself would change them and transform them and and turn them into part of the solution uh, to bless the whole world. And so uh, be with us as Indelible Grace Church and our friends who visit. Uh, Make us a new kind of city that lives with a new focus and lives with a new...